0: the podcast for all things myth, lore, and those creepy monsters that go bump in the night. Each week, I'm sitting down with some non-mythers and introducing them to the wonderful world of mythology. We're taking a look at culture, at humanity, and discussing the connection between these ancient stories and the issues we still face in society today. There will be wine and snacks and plenty of laughs along the way, so sit back relax, and join me on my personal quest to corrupt the minds of the world one myth at a time. Three Baron Samdi. The Baron is an elite Voodoo loa who heads the rowdy and raucous Gede family. He is death, sex, protector, and healer. This guy's the boss. One you do not want to get on the bad side of. Join me and my best friend D on our rum-filled jaunt into the history of Haiti, slavery, and Voodoo. Find out which one of us is a Gede in disguise which one's a pancake, and why Dee is so passionate about the bejification of America. This episode is meant to be a celebration of the culture and spirituality of voodoo. Neither Dee nor myself wish to dishonor or disrespect this religion. I apologize beforehand for mispronunciations or any misinterpretations. I also want to state that this episode is a bit different than most. I felt the need to really dive into the history here so that we could gain a better perspective of how voodoo came about. I wanted to honor Haiti and the struggle its people have gone through. I also wanted to be sure that we really focused on what voodoo is and not what popular culture has portrayed it to be. So, without further ado, here's episode three. I hope you guys enjoy. Okay, welcome to episode three. With me, I have my very best friend of like, what, forever? Long time. (laughs) Long time. Very, very long time. DeVay. Howdy. And um, today we're going to be talking about Baron Sam D. So, just so you kind of know how it works, I know you've listened to some of the podcast Mm -hmm. episodes, but um, Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask a few questions that I kind of want you to think about, Mm -hmm. and then at the end I'll ask the questions again. Okay. Okay, so, death is an integral part of humanity. It's something that we all have to face at one point or another in our lives. Symbolically, death deals with transformation. Parts of us die so that others can grow. In a way, all of us die multiple deaths during our lives. What is a symbolic death that you've dealt with in your life, and how has this helped you? Do you think that cultures experience this transformative energy as well? And what major transformations do you think our culture is currently experiencing, if any? Noted. Noted, okay. So, we kind of can't talk about the barren, or voodoo at all without kind of getting a little bit of history. And this episode is going to be a bit different because I don't really have any folk tales or myths concerning the baron. I just have who he is and what he represents. And that's mainly because voodoo is not really one of those religions where outsiders are given a lot of information. So there's really not much out there as far as, like, the myths and the folklore. Mm -hmm. And, which it makes a lot of sense because it's, um... More closeted. Yeah, and it's a cultural thing, you know. Mm-hmm. The first people we're going to talk about are the Tainos. And the Taino people were the indigenous people of Haiti. Okay? Well, not just Haiti, but that whole the whole Caribbean, the greater Antilles. Mm-hmm. So the island that now includes Haiti and the Dominican Republic um, was first inhabited around 500 BCE. Around 300 BCE, we begin to see farming villages pop up. And evidence suggests that the people who inhabited the Caribbean islands came from the mainland. So like the Yucatan Peninsula. Did I Yucatan. pronounce that right?
1: I say Yucatan. Yucatan. Yucatan.
0: Okay. So the largest majority of the indigenous tribes there were the Arawak peoples. Okay. And the Taino were a subset of these peoples. Okay. These are the ones who began to develop the large communities on the islands. The Taino become the most dominant group there. It was the Taino and one other group, but mainly the Taino.
1: Okay.
0: They were, like I said, Indians of the Greater Antilles and the Bahamas, and they inhabited Hispaniola, which is Haiti and the Dominican Republic. Um, they also inhabited Cuba, Puerto Rico, and Jamaica. And they had a very complex culture. There were millions of them on Hispaniola, like, before Columbus ever got there. But we'll get there in a minute. So, their communities were very densely populated, but really well organized. They were very inventive. They figured out how to strain the cyanide out of yucca, which was one of their main crops. And they also figured out how to develop, like, a sort of pepper gas for warfare.
1: Oh, chemical warfare. Yeah, which was really
0: cool. And another thing that they did, which I think is really awesome, is they had these, like, really large canoes that they built with, like, 100, 100 people or more paddles for ocean travel to travel back and forth. Another thing was they had we think about rubber. Rubber is something that's like everywhere today. But back then, it was a rare commodity. It was very rare. The the Europeans had never seen it. And they had this game that they played with a rubber ball. And it like fascinated the Europeans that came. Which I just find that little tidbit interesting but their religion centered around the worship of what they called zemis and these were like they were gods they were spirits and they were ancestors the zemi controlled various functions of the universe kind of like the haitian loa and voodoo the other important thing to note about the taino religion is that caves were super important to them these are the ones who believed that all of humanity originated out of caves and they kind of um pictured caves as like the entrance to the underworld
1: What is the name
0: that they had for them? Sonotes. I think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. I like the way that they believed this. This was um, really cool, because I'm guessing they really didn't come into contact with very many other peoples, because for a long time it was just them. And then the Spanish came. And the way they kind of, like, rationalized the existence of other peoples was, well, we came out of one cave, and everybody else just came out of another cave. (laughs) Seems reasonable. Which was pretty reasonable, I think, yeah. Fun fact, the Tainos were actually the group of Indians that Christopher Columbus ran into. The very first ones that greeted him. Should have killed him. Yes, they should have. Well, they tried to a little bit. We'll get there. I know you've heard the whole 1492 Christopher Columbus. Fuck that shit. (laughs) I know I hate them too, but. Well, what you might not know is that the very first shipwreck of Columbus's voyage, first voyage, was actually on Haiti. His The Santa Maria, which was the biggest one, kind of like ran up on the reef of Haiti. The crew couldn't get it off the reef. So they used the materials of the ship to build a fort. And the fort was called Fort La Navidad. And the whole thing was like, he couldn't fit everybody that was on the Santa Maria back on the other two ships. So basically, he leaves 39 people in the fort. And he know like they all know he's coming back. He leaves them and then goes back to Spain to get more money to come back or whatever. The other reason why he left them there was that he realized there was probably a lot of gold in the area. I'm guessing that the natives wore gold when he Mm -hmm. ran into them. So he wanted to kind of go ahead and start off the negotiations. Mm -hmm. See, See, Columbus viewed this whole thing as a way to get more money for Spain, but Spain wanted to colonize. A little over a year later... Chris comes back, mm-hmm. and what does he find? He finds... Are they dead? They're all dead. Yay! He fi- he literally comes back, and they're, like, smoldering ashes. Oh, awesome. Good. And a physician on board said that the people had been dead, or their people had been dead for, like, two weeks. So whatever happened, you know, so good. didn't turn out well. So, like I said, the Spanish wanted colonization. So, they start to demand things from the Ta'ino people, and the Ta'ino people just didn't accept that. They just had a whole completely different worldview, you know. And so, they, they did not accept being demanded upon. So, they kind of, like, run him out of that area. And he gets back in his boat. He sails down the coast about 80 miles, right? He sails down, makes his first settlement, and this is the settlement of Isabella. And this is the beginning of the end for the Taino people. So the Spanish come, they bring everything that they need with them. So from here on out for the Taino people, it's sickness, slavery, and straight up butchery. It's terrible. They brought, the Spanish settlers brought smallpox with them. And that wiped out a lot of the Taino people. But slavery was just as, if not more culpable for the near annihilation of these people. Remember the slave trade shortly began like... Almost right after Christopher Columbus's discovery, quote unquote, quote unquote, arrival. He didn't discover shit. He didn't discover shit, no. And really, the backbone of the Spaniards' economic system during their colonization was the demand that they could make on the labor of the Taino people. Now, you have to understand, even though the Taino people were like warrior, warrior-like-is in some senses, like they knew how to fight, they didn't have guns. <laughs> They didn't have, you know, all the weapons that... They didn't have
1: mechanized warfare like Europe had.
0: No, they did not. And, you know, (laughs) the way that the Spanish did this was really dirty. So, like, one of the things that they did was, like, if a Taino would not convert to Christianity, then that Taino would automatically become a slave. It would be legal for them to become a slave. And that's, like, one of the things that I dislike so much about Abrahamic religions, and we'll get to that way later, but is the fact that it's so exclusionary that's a whole nother podcast yeah it is (laughs) so now like i said before there are millions of tainas living in the greater antilles and they did try to fight back but as i said the spanish have guns they have bows and arrows they have horses and then you have to factor in the countless deaths at the hands of european disease it's kind of no wonder this why this culture was basically destroyed So, by 1514, their population dwindled down to a mere 30,000. That's from millions to 30,000. And by the end of the 16th century, the Tainos had basically vanished. So, now we're going to talk about the French occupation. And so, we kind of like get a little bit of a picture here where most of the indigenous people are basically gone. They're just gone and so kind of we know now why African slaves were brought in. The Spaniards basically leave Haiti when there's you know all the gold mines dry up so and then there's kind of like a, a brief period during the 16th century where the island becomes a sort of like a home for buccaneers pirates Yep, yeah. so and then from here the pirates make enough money to where they start to develop plantations and permanent settlements. So in 1660, the French West Indies Corporation took control of the area. The the French West Indies was a pirate group. And thousands of African slaves began to be imported into the colony to work the plantations. In 1697, the western third of Hispaniola formally becomes a French possession, who renamed it Saint Domingue. Not long after this, Haiti becomes also one of the places with the highest number of slaves in the world. In fact, the only other place that had more slaves was Brazil. The colony's economic output grew so rapidly that by the 1780s, nearly two-thirds of France's foreign investments were based on St. Domingue.
1: The world runs on sugar, and you can't have sugar without slaves.
0: Yep. They produced about 40% of Europe's sugar and 60% of its coffee. And being a slave in a sugar plantation colony, was it was all bad. Slavery was a terrible dark mark on our history. Just in general. But being a slave on a sugar colony, a sugar plantation colony, was, like, the worst. It's the hardest labor. It's the hardest labor. And not only that, but you don't have this societal... Um, Protection? Yeah, I guess, in a way. Because you're out in the middle of... away from society. Like, the only people there are people that are running the plantations. or You know what I mean? Other than Other than the slaves. So... You don't have society to kind of like be like, oh my god, why are you doing this to these people? That didn't
1: help even when I mean.
0: You're right. It it really didn't. Purple (laughs) should happen right in the middle of town. It's very true. It's very very true. It's a good point. Um, the slave system in Saint Domingue was regarded as the harshest in the Americas. French owners imported nearly eight hundred thousand African slaves to the colony. That's almost double the total amount imported to North America and by the late 18th century the rate was about 40,000 a year that's more slaves brought in per year than the entire white population on the island and by the 19th century slaves made up about 90% of the entire population and no these were not like generational numbers the conditions were so bad that they just died that they just died there wasn't a, there wasn't repopulation yeah yeah They were all African-born. Most of the plantations were extremely large, with over 200 slaves. And many of the field workers, in most cases, the majority of the field workers were women. And colonial society in St. Domingue was deeply fragmented by skin color, class, and gender. At the very top, you had the white plantation owners, or the big bosses. They called them grand blancs. Right below them, you had the wealthy, free people of color, which is the, um, I think I'm pronouncing this correctly, Afranchi. So, let me explain this. Most of the French who came to the island were men. And what do these men do whenever they see women? Have sex. They have sex with them. Or rape them, probably. Let's just be real. And the offspring of these, I don't even want to call it... Interaction. Yes, thank you. They're beige. Yes, well, you know, the term that I don't... I don't really feel comfortable using, but I kept coming across, and my research was mulatto. But I don't want to use that term, so. Interracial babies. Interracial babies, yes. And what these French people would do, these French men, they would free their children, which, that's so nice of them.
1: Oh, great. Thanks, Dad.
0: Yeah, so they would free their children, and they would kind of grow up with money. And they were, like, right under the rung of the Grand Blancs. They were rich people of color. By 1789, there were about 24,800 free people of color in Haiti. And they contributed a lot to the island's stability. They served in the militia and on the local constabulary, which is like the police force. Constabulary. Constabulary. (laughs) Um, They really aspired to the economic and social levels of the Europeans, to the extent of some of them were actually slave owners themselves. They did not connect themselves to the african-born slaves they feared them the slave majority and really spurned them like they they were just as cruel cruel in some cases yes Mm -hmm. but the fun well not funny the interesting thing is is the colonists you know all of the white people on the island they discriminated against them Mm So, maybe not to the extent, uh, obviously not to the extent that that the slaves were discriminated Mm -hmm. against, but there was still a lot of Mm -hmm. discrimination going on. Below the free people of color were the Petit Blancs, and these were the poor white workers. These were artisans, overseers, and laborers. And then at the bottom you have the the slaves, most of whom, as I said before, were African-born, and the vast majority of slaves were field workers. However, they were also house servants, boilermen, and even slave drivers, you know. Mm-hmm. life as a slave was incredibly bleak death from injuries was really common infections, but disease was also a huge factor some slaves managed to escape into the mountains, like the interior mountainous area, and these become known as the Maroons, and they actually fight, they fight back, they fight guerrilla battles against the colonial militia which is probably a contributing factor to why the Afranchi feared them a bit, because they were most of them were in the militia Okay, so 1789, the French Revolution breaks out. All of the social classes had complaints. I mean, every single one of them. The slaves were obviously done with slavery. The affranchis were tired of all the legal discrimination. The poor whites were resentful of the privileges held by the affranchis. And the Grand Blancs were complaining about the French trade laws and the government's paltry attempt to kind of sort of improve slavery's, like, conditions. The slaves, however, obviously, have it like the worst, so naturally they rebel. It started because some slaves heard a rumor about the king of France having freed them. And even though it was across the ocean, the word about what was happening in France reached the people of Haiti. And then the Declaration of the Rights of Man and Citizens gave hope to the Frenchie and the slaves. Now, I kind of want to go back to the Petit Blancs here. They actually argued that there wasn't enough discrimination. They they basically wanted lower interest rates so that they could pay off their debt, and they began lobbying for colonial independence. I kind of want to talk about the psychology of this for a minute, because it's crazy. These Petit Blancs truly felt like they were being oppressed in Saint Domingue. And I just think that's insane. It just goes to show you just how much they did not view slaves as human.
1: So, you mean like how middle white america thinks it's being attacked right now
0: i mean i wasn't gonna
1: get into politics no no let's go there let's (laughs) that's what this whole thing is about yeah not yeah like oh i don't have it absolutely perfect therefore we must oppress somebody else so that i can get one leg up oh you mean like how the irish did that to black people in america never mind keep on going keep on going story Oh, keep talking. Why don't you paint the scene about what I'm staring at right now?
0: <laughs> I love you. Well, add that in there. Tell them about that. We are currently in my cousin's bedroom, and he is a redneck. And while I love him more than life itself, I there's can't... a huge Confederate flag <laughs> hanging in front of this angry black woman. <laughs> yeah, there is. White. So the Petit Blancs wanted to be free of France control so that they could institute a democracy where everyone has a voice, except the slaves. Well, anybody of color.
1: Do these people have MAGA hats?
0: <laughs> I don't know. I feel like they should have. They should have MAGA hats. <laughs> they definitely. A Petit Blanc in my mind has a MAGA hat
1: <laughs> and a shirt with no sleeves. Keep going. <laughs>
0: okay so 1791 these radical petit blancs seized control of the city of port of port-au-prince 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 now remember this whole time for france is really bad there's war everywhere they're basically at war with everyone like are they chopping off heads right now back home kind of yes so, the French sends troops to St. Domingue, and urges, like, there were urges towards liberty, fraternity, and equality going
1: liberty, equality.
0: on. Yes, all of that was going on in France, so they actually granted citizenship to the people of color, not the slaves, but the Afranchi, okay? The beige. The beige, yeah, okay.
1: Are we going to talk about colorism in African-American society?
0: I mean, we can. We can talk about whatever you want to. Because uh, that's this is the beginning of colorism in black culture that exists to this day. I mean, I feel like I don't have any any leg to stand on in that conversation at all because I'm white. You want me to so, have it by myself? I'll have it by myself. So, yeah, let's talk about that. I'm, I mean, I think you're absolutely correct. Okay, so for your listeners, I'm high, Yella.
1: Um, so... I'm the color of pancakes, if you will. <laughs> I'm not the color of cocoa, or the color of a chocolate bar. I'm not the color of
0: butter either. You're kind of like a you're kind of like a beautiful caramel. No, I'm a pancake. Okay. <laughs> um. So, it's
1: interesting when your pancake and chocolate bars give you trouble, because they say you they say you think you're better than them, because for so long being lighter has meant... More privileges. Not even just slight privilege. Yeah, Like, it meant the difference between life or death. Because if you were a mixed-race house slave, you got better treatment, got better food, had better health, had better children, your life was better. Far better. You were in the house. You were allowed to be amongst guests, and you were serving dinner. You didn't have to go out in the fields and break your back. And... It was an honest to God advantage and that's that has stuck in black culture for so long, you know, even even my grandparents like my mom, um, my mom was beautiful like cocoa color, but she liked to date men with darker skin and even my grandmother, didn't like that idea. She said you need to date someone with lighter skin tone. She literally said, when you have children, think about lightening up the world. That's exactly how she phrased That's it. That's so sad. Because, and, and the thing was, it's not, she because it honestly meant, if your child is dark
0: skin, they're going to have a harder life. They're going to be treated differently. Right, you want your children to have an easier life. Do you think that, that with the movements now about how black is beautiful and all of the models that are like super dark coming out now, that our cultures might be changing or you think it's going to take quite a few more generations Culture is changing but that's
1: having an interesting effect. Now let me tell you this. This is going to make some people mad. My my opinion here. Some of the most colorist and judgmental people now are the dark-skinned people because they've been they have generation upon generation of being And they harbor so much resentment for light-skinned women. Yeah. And it's it's really it's that. really tough amongst women of color. But I have been excluded from race discussions. Really? Because they don't think that I should be included. Okay, so a little bit of history. Um, you know how big sororities are in, yes. in African-American culture. Yes. And, you know, going back to HBCUs, and I think they are amazing, and I think they're a great part of our culture that should be maintained. But there are some, like, it, especially like when my mom was in college, she told me this sororities were done based along color lines really one sorority was for the lighter skin girls one sorority was for the darker skin girls and I thought this was ridiculous so I go maybe because my mom went to school in the 70's and that's why when I got to college and I was kinda looking you know thinking about pledging I saw the same thing really because my mother being Coco she went with the sorority that had the darker skinned girls. Mm-hmm. And when I thought about pledging, I was literally told by my mom, you have to pledge this sorority or else I'm not paying, so. <laughs> so I looked into pledging for this sorority and was given a complete cold shoulder because all of these girls were, they were beautiful, but they were dark skin, they had gorgeous natural hair. Basically, I wasn't black enough for them. I'm at the point in where I have been told I'm not black enough. That's very sad. So, and I keep telling, my phrase is, I'd be at the back of the bus with everybody else. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, yes. don't think that I, have you know, haven't faced, you know, issues or a bit of resistance because of my race, but even amongst my own culture, I'm ostracized due to this whole archaic, coloristic tendency it's it's a really strange way of thinking and it's
0: you know and it know, definitely started the, with this
1: right the privilege that the was a Afranchi had it 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 built such a deep resistance amongst darker skinned people and it's a big schism within our own community that is completely counterproductive i agree uh, it's very counterproductive and i think that that needs to be addressed and Okay, I... Well, I date white men. And... I But my whole thing is, I just... I don't understand the... Like, it's such a thick line to cross. Especially depending on where your region is. Like, it, it's amazing to me that I think... Even now, I think it, about the, the trouble that my kids would have. Even really? now, in 2018. Really? And yes, there are a lot more children... Of mixed race parentage, a lot. And I love the fact that we see advertisements with, you know, mixed race families, yes. moms and dads of different races, moms and moms of different races, dads and dads of different races. I think that's a good thing. And I think it's fabulous that I can watch a commercial and see a little kid that looked like I looked. Because when I watched, you know, cartoons or, and saw the there kids, se- kids selling cereal, it was little Mikey, you know. White kids, maybe there'd be a black kid, but it was a chocolate kid, you know? They do give me a beautiful chocolate kid, but there were never any beige kids. I, I was so thrilled when Aladdin came out because Jasmine was my color. She was the color of pancakes, too. <laughs> and I was thrilled, and Mom's like, she's Muslim. I'm like, but she's my color. <laughs> and even now, I was, I was a grown-ass woman going to see Princess and the Frog. Thrilled. It's was a black Disney princess. <laughs> But Tiana still didn't look like me either. So I've I i do not have a Disney princess yet. I'm waiting. I'm waiting, Disney. It's, coming. I'm, it's I'm, coming. I'm
0: looking for a beige princess. Disney get on that. Come on. Okay. Is there more rum? There is more rum. Oh, we did not even say that we're drinking rum. Where we are, are totally drinking Beron Samdi spiced rum. Rum and rum it rum. Is, Very delicious. getting a little drunk. Keep talking. Move it along. Okay, we're going to keep going. Shit's about to hit the fan. Shit is about to hit the fan. So, okay, the French send troops, I already said that, but the Petit Blancs are definitely not happy about this. And this leads to fighting breaking out between them and the newly French people of color. Make Haiti great again. So, awesomeness happens in August of 1791 because the slaves are basically like, um, hello? Screw all y'all. And they, like, revolt against everyone, and it's awesome. Yeah, a massive slave revolt breaks out. And I am going to mess this name up, but I'm going to try. I think it's Toussaint Louverture. 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 Toussaint Louverture. Toussaint Louverture. you your awesome Frenchness. Well, French language skills. Toussaint Louverture. He's a former African slave, and he kind of turns military leader. And he sort of, like, heads this revolt. He's the one who trains all the slaves in combat techniques so that they could withstand, withstand the attacks against the French. Yeah. Now, the way that he kind of wins this whole thing is really awesome. Because during this entire upheaval, the Spanish, who, remember, have control of the other half of Hispaniola. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, he, like, gets into negotiations with them, and they're constantly steady supplying aid to the slave revolts. Yeah, to hurt the French. To hurt the French, exactly. Louverture actually becomes an officer in the Spanish military.
1: Well, you know, the Spanish have always had a better, well, an interesting relationship with people of color due yeah. to the whole history with the Moors in Spain. Yeah, that's so, very true. That's a very good point. I would so, have thought of that. I think that's why they'd be quicker to be bedfellows than the French because they have a different cultural outlook
0: on... They still course, they history. they still messed the Taino up though. They did, but you see what up where they're yeah. Mm-hmm. I can see yeah, I can mm-hmm. see that. So he gives up his rights as a French citizen because really for him, emancipation of the slaves was way more important than his French citizenship. In October of seventeen ninety three, the British, who remember France is at war with like everyone, mm-hmm. they decide that they're going to invade Saint Domingue now. I don't know if I touched on this yet, but Saint-Domingue was, like, literally the most profitable colony in the world at this point in time. Okay? So it makes a lot of sense for the British to want to take control of that.
1: hmm
0: When the British come, the French were kind of like, yeah, we're really not going to win. Like, because now they're having to fight the Spanish, the British, and the slaves. So it's a war on all sides. Right. It's a war on all sides. So, February 4th, 1794 the national convention in paris ratifies the decree to free the slaves and they gain their freedom and this is the first time in history that a slave revolt has resulted in freedom so it was a huge deal the most it's actually the most successful slave revolt in history
1: Who's well, um, going to pay for it though
0: it won freedom and citizenship for the and for every single slave we're going to get there in a minute mm-hmm. so by may Louverture actually switches his allegiances back to France, mm-hmm. and he was a brilliant, like, I can't stress enough how much of a brilliant strategist he was, because he's the one that turns the tides and basically wins this thing for them, like, because the entire war ends, and between 19, or 1794 and 1802, he starts to steer the colony towards independence. Now, slavery is abolished, but the plantation system is still in place. Still need sugar. Still gotta have sugar. Like I said, St. Domingue is the most valuable colony in the entire world at this point in time. And sugar production was vital to the economic survival of the island. So, Louverture. His whole thing was he wanted them, he wanted all the slaves to continue working the plantations. Not under the same conditions. Like, they were getting paid and everything now. And the conditions were better. But, I mean, the slaves were kind of, like, tired of it. So, he didn't gain a whole lot of popularity. Remember Napoleon? <laughs> yep. Little tiny short guy on a horse. Yeah. That guy? Yeah, that guy. So, he comes to power in 1799, and Napoleon being Napoleon, the asshole that he is, he basically is like, okay, well, that's cool that they all want their independence and everything, but we kind of need their money, and the most profitable way to make money is... With free labor. With free labor. So he basically, like, revokes their freedom, which sits about as well as you think. And remember, Saint-Domingue, even though they were going towards independence, they're still under French control. Like I said, he, Napoleon needed money. He's trying to recover from the Seven Year War, and he basically tries to reintroduce slavery. So he sends Leclerc, his brother-in-law, to the island to sort of, like, get it in order. So Leclerc arrests and sends him to prison in France, where he later dies, but... This isn't what sparked the uprising, the second uprising, and then, as I said, mostly because he really wasn't popular with the with the majority of the people. Yes. So, what does spark the uprising is when the clerk decides he's going to take away everybody's guns.
1: They're picking our guns,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that was the exact reaction I was hoping you would have. Like <laughs> from my cold dead hands. <laughs> so. This results in a guerrilla war, which the French eventually lose. The French, even though they lost, they do put up a good fight. I mean, they even go so far as to bring in man-eating dogs from Cuba. That's pretty fucking sweet. I mean, that's pretty, like... The second uprising, it's very interesting. And there's this whole, like, story about how voodoo played a huge part in this. Because, like, they did this big. And I might be mixing my two uprisings up here. I've had... A bit of rum, but there was a, a bit in my research that I found where, um, there was a big voodoo ceremony held up in like the woods or whatever mm-hmm. away from the French to sort of like basically bring about their demise because they were done, mm-hmm. you know, look, we just gained our freedom. Fuck you guys. We're finished with this shit. Did they kill some French people? Actually, the interesting thing is they fucking do. Oh, cool. Do you know what hits? Yellow fucking fever hits. Oh. And that is why the second uprising is so successful. I mean it was beside the fact besides the fact that they had militia training now and weapons, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they also had the freaking they had yellow fever on their side. That's helpful. Yes. It breaks out at the same exact time and the French most of the French soldiers, like thousands of them, die of yellow fever, including Leclerc himself. Take that, you goddamn frogs. <laughs> So in the end, interesting part here. I I did not know this. I don't know if you did, but this is what actually causes Napoleon to give up, and it weakens him so financially that he actually sells Louisiana to the U.S. And we purchase it. Yes. Oh look there. So thank you Haiti. Thank you Voodoo. <laughs>
1: oh that's very interesting. Yeah.
0: Yes, I did not know that. Did we get the receipts? Yeah, so January 1st, 1804, Dessalines, who was one of the commanders in kind of like the second uprising. Oh, the, um, he,
1: he was on whose side? He
0: was on, um, well, I'm going to say our side, but he was on the Haiti side. Okay. He's the one who kind of gets credit for defeating the French. She declares the island of Saint-Domingue independent and renames it Haiti after its original Taino. So. That was a lot of history. It was a lot of history, but I felt like we needed it. I felt like Haiti deserved it. I'm angry. Voodoo. What do you think about... That's the sound of rum going in my cup. What do you think about whenever you think of voodoo? Voodoo? Voodoo. Voodoo. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we've had too much to drink. (laughs) Already. Already.
1: (laughs) I think about... Oh, spicy. Well, typically, like, my first things are, like, African roots of religion being planted in the new world, quote-unquote, and growing into its own religion, but with all these various influences around it. You
0: are a brilliant cookie. Most people would not think of that. Most people think of, you know, shaka-shaka-shaka-shaka. Yeah, and, like, dolls with pins in them. Well, I do want to stab one. (laughs) Well.
1: And I also think of the people that I don't like and
0: things that I'd like to do to them. (laughs) Well, the dolls and pins and the who, or however you said it. Do it again. Shaka-shaka. Yeah, the shaka, 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 shaka. That's not what voodoo is. Yes, dude. Voodoo is, it's, it's a very interesting, and I, I have loved learning about it. Because it's more than just a religion. It's a way of life. It's a way of living. Mm-hmm. It's more than just worship and ritual and all of these things. And charms or, well, we don't even call them charms, but talismans or whatever. It's way more than that voodoo is about respecting where you've come from your roots your ancestors and respecting your current place in the world it's about honoring the order of the universe and the spiritual realm basically Voduns, and i think i'm pronouncing that correctly Voduns, Voduns believe that there is a definitive order to the way that the world works and knowing your place in this order and respecting it will not only bring immense positive and immense positivity and wholesomeness to yourself but also to the entire system so and what i mean by system i'm talking about the universe i'm talking about the spiritual realm now this doesn't mean that you're restricted like you're not like a slave to the system it's it's more of there's a proper way to do things and you have to be aware of these protocols and have respect for the forces that are above you Mm-hmm. That have come before you. And the reason why is because they're... I mean, it makes sense. They're wiser than you. They deserve your respect. So, like, one example of an aspect of Udon society is allowing your elders to speak on a subject before you voice your own opinion. Now, I say allow, but it's not really like that. Elders speak first. Mm-hmm. And it's more than just, like, respect your elders. It's a whole thing. Like, elders speak first on whatever... And then you you can speak your opinion after them and disagree with them even, but got you have to honor them because they've been here longer. They know mm-hmm. more than you do.
1: I mean, that just makes sense in like a tribal, like, because your elders have more experience and they, you benefit from getting their impressions first. That makes sense. That's just, seems reasonable.
0: Yes. And I, I think it's I think it's very reasonable in today's society too, because, I mean, you know, even though I don't necessarily agree with everything my elders believe, uh, they they've been here longer, so like some things they're gonna have more experience with, right? Voodoo's,
1: and you, and you can disagree with them, just respect them while you
0: while you are disagreeing. Yes, yes while you present
1: your case. Yeah.
0: Yes. So voodoo's origins are very elusive. This, like you said, and you, you really hit the nail on the head, so to speak, this is a religion that's born from the spirituality of slaves brought over from Africa. And this spirituality, mixed with the religion that, of the Taino people, or the, I call them Taino people because that's the majority of them of what was there, but they're the Arawaks, you know, the Arawak Indians. And even, also mixed with the Roman Catholics, Roman Catholicism as well. And that's mainly because they had had to publicly espouse Christianity. So they had to, like, publicly be Christian. (laughs) So they kind of, like, mixed their own beliefs into that.
1: Like Christmas trees and Easter eggs? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they
0: sort of inserted their own practices into Christianity, which allowed their traditional beliefs to survive. Mm -hmm. So I (laughs) I know it's kind of hard for us to understand um, as Westerners. I, I mean, it's really not for me, but it is kind of hard to grasp the mixing of religions. This is known as syncretism. Um, But that's... Because the Abrahamic religions, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, etc., are very exclusive. These religions all believe that they have the monopoly on the truth. All caps. Like, the truth. Mm. And even though they are tolerant, and I've got air quotations you cannot see because not all of them are extremely tolerant, but even though they're, oh, op- they're, they're tolerant. <laughs> In some senses, the entire point of these religions is that they have the correct way. And that's why it's kind of a weird concept of us, this whole mixing of fates. But you got to remember, most faiths aren't like that. So like, think about the Greeks worshiping Egyptian deities or, you know, things like that. Basically, like, If I have my god, gods, or spirits, rituals, or whatever, and I come in contact with others who make sense, theirs is close, I might adopt them, or we might exchange ideas. Or, like, if my people conquered your people, or your people conquered my people. And different names get moved
1: around, and things begin to blend.
0: Yes, and if you think about it, this is kind of why, like, Santa Claus is basically two saints and a Norse god all stacked up on top of each other in a trench coat. That sounds creepy. <laughs> I mean, because he really is. He sounds really creepy. <laughs> so voodoo, the term, is actually multiple fates under this kind of, like, umbrella of the Afro-American religions or spirituality. They're broken up by locations. The the main ones, you have the Dominican voodoo, Louisiana voodoo, which would be like New Orleans. Yeah. And then you have Haitian voodoo. We're going to talk about Haitian voodoo a bit. It's practitioners are called voodooists. And they believe, well, I think all Voodoo is like this, actually, but they believe in a singular god called Bandier, and this is believed to come from the French term Bandieu, which means good lord. Good lord. <laughs> <laughs> yes, which means good lord. And this is a god, this is a distant god. He doesn't concern himself, or she, doesn't concern her, himself or herself with human affairs. And this is where the Loa come in, Bandier. mm mm-hmm. Exists in a spiritual plane that's way above our own. And he's, or she, is grander and has a scale of thought that's our perception, that's really unimaginable to our perception as, as humans. So that's why the lower are, are there. They're so
1: the, you mean like there's this high, unreachable God, and then there are other creatures,
0: entities through which we communicate? Powers or forces. Powers. Well, that sounds familiar. Yes. The Loa are the go-between for the humans and this higher power. Hmm. So all communication, worship, or reverence, and any other form of spiritual action is aimed at the spiritual world in voodoo, right? The Loa aren't really so much worshipped like the ancestors would be. Right. But they are served. Because the Loa are, you have to think, this is a very hierarchical system. The Loa would be above the ancestors because they're powers, Right. right. And then you have other notables who might have been people in this life who have passed on that had... A higher level of being? Yes. Kind Kind of, of yes. Also, Voodooists believed in reincarnation. And while they don't really call it karma, they believe that your actions in this life affect how you'll be reincarnated. And, as I said, like powerful ancestors or notables can transcend or or they can stay trapped in the physical world it depends on what they're doing in this world or sorry they can stay trapped in the spiritual world depends on what they're doing in this world good or bad you know mm-hmm. and they can even become part of the loa depending on their attributes it's all about how much powerful energy you have the loa themselves are really innumerable. There's a lot of them. And when we think and them, think that uh, the thing that I find really interesting about voodoo is like the next world. So like I don't I don't know what you want to call it. You want to call it the underworld or the spiritual realm. It's basically like our world. There's tons of different nations and all of that. And is it's it just like the upside down. I, <laughs> it, I guess it kind of is like the upside down in a way. Only there's people there. Everybody who's passed is there. And they have different levels of power or influence based on, you know, who they were in this life, I think. Okay. So, they're divided into 21 entire nations, or nanchuns, or however you want to say it. And these often correspond to the geographical locations or the united races or tribes from which the belief of the spirits, the intermediary spirits, came from. Okay. Some of the most notable and well-known nations among the among the Loa are the Rada Loa, the Petro Loa, the Congoloa, Loa, the Nagoloa, Loa, and the Gede. So I'm gonna g- briefly go through what these are before we get into the Gede, because they are relevant. So well, all of them are relevant. Sorry, but you know, we're gonna focus on the Gede. Yeah, the Rada are associated with older deities of Africa and are usually considered to be. Wiser, more positive, nurturing, efficient So these are
1: because these are coming from. I hate to say the term the motherland. There seem as more... well. No, because
0: all of these come from the motherland. But I'm saying they're... that
1: seems to be like the more because they're further back
0: rooted. Yes, that's what
1: I'm saying. That you they're more parental. Yes, they're
0: because they're so old. Right, the grandparents, if you will. The Lua believed to have originated from the Congo region. Imagine that. And they include the Serpent Loa, which make up the Simbi subsects. Then you have the Loa who are from a region in Nigeria, and include the Ogun Spirits. And the Ogun Spirits are, like, really... They're very... They're going to fight you. They're very warrior-like, but they're often, like, called upon for, like, protection. They're going to fight for you, I guess. Okay. Um, and then you have the Petro Loa, who are way more warlike than any other one. And they're more associated with spirits encountered during Voodoo's time in Haiti. So the the, the Nago and the Petra are kind of similar, but they just have different aspects.
1: So, just curious, so the Congo Loa, mm-hmm. are they viewed as being a little bit older as well, as opposed to I'm the, not... the Nago and the Petro? Because it seems like, what I know about the Congo region, there's a lot of imagery about serpents and water serpents due to like the the rivers and the yes the geography of the area it seems as though these like you said take on the characteristics of that region so
0: that's why would seem a little older i'm not entirely sure but um i believe so i had a lot of hard time researching because as i said voodoo is taught to the initiated Mm -hmm. i ain't initiated you know even talking to people who are within this, who practice this. You know, I'm, I'm not going to get a whole bunch of information because... You're going to end up like the rainbow and the serpent. <laughs> yes. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and it's more for my protection, which I th- I'll talk about that when we get to the Gede. Um, so the Gede are next. I I kind of love these spirits. These are the spirits of the dead. And they're led by the barons of Voodoo, which we are definitely going to get into because we're talking about Baron Samdi. So, <coughs> yes, she holds as she holds up the bronze Samdi rum. So, <clears throat> the Loa of this nation are, like I said, the spirits of the dead, and these are like crude, lewd, in-your-face spirits. I kind of picture them as like a bunch of like cons- over-sexed wor- um, construction workers. Or college kids. Or, no, they're, they're... Older than that? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. It depends on, on them, I suppose. But they really do not give a crap about the results of their actions when they're on this plane. They've died. They've already lived. They don't give a shit. They don't give a shit. I don't give a fuck. They don't give a fuck. 40. So they have. they definitely don't have the same societal proprieties that we do. They're very obscene, vulgar, sexual, very Ooh. sexual. Yeah. Like, that's kind of like their thing.
1: Brown chicken, brown. And they don't
0: give a fuck about what you think about them, and they don't give a fuck about what they say. To the point of, like, it's very common for them to, like, tell your secrets. So, you know, um, part of voodoo is the possession. And that's that's getting, and again, i did not find a whole bunch of information on this for obvious reasons nobody wants to get me in trouble (laughs) I guess but um and this is like when a spirit takes over and it's not like as we think about it you know pop culture or whatever likes to turn these sorts of things into like evil things but it's not seen as like that it's more of like you know during a ritual the gay day they get to have their say the the gay day are their spirits and then Again, I get differing things, but one of the things I was told was that these are spirits who didn't get a lot of, um, they didn't get honored when they died. So they might have been, like, on the lower rungs of society. So they could be criminals. They could be, um, homeless people. They could be just people who didn't have the money to bury their loved ones like they could and got state buried. Or, you know, anything, like, they could have died from a trauma suddenly. And it's very important, and part of voodoo is honoring these forgotten souls mm-hmm. and so and the gay day are huge they're are so many of them and they're kind of viewed as like a family they're the only nation that's viewed as a family so like during the rituals um the loa come first and then at the end of the ritual the gay day come because they get to have their say so like it's seen as kind of like i don't know if i would call it an honor but just kind of like very respectful to let them have their moment and to be who they are. The Gere are very helpful, too, even though they're very vulgar and carnal, very carnal. They are also fiercely protective of children. One sect of them is called the Benin, and they're a major country within the Gere. And they heal, they remove bad spirits, and they clear away evil workings. So when they come through, a, like in a ritual, they often display just how far removed they are from the land of the living by doing things like eating broken glass, or one of the ways that they'll prove that the possession is a real one is by like rubbing chili rum on their genitals or Ooh. washing their faces in it. Who? Yes. Oh. So that's how you know this is like a real possession. Yo. They're not just faking or. Whatever. Oh. They, oh. Oh yeah. Yep. They're very loud and raucous family. They can be outrageous and even, like, really funny at times. But they're also very honest. Um, they don't lie. Why would they? How
1: can you lie when your genitals are on fire?
0: <laughs> <laughs> they don't lie. They, they don't, because, I mean, they're...
1: I'm sorry, can we get back to the chili sauce on the giblets? <laughs> I am confused.
0: Hold on. I'm, re- I'm reading this. So they, 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 they like to prove... Well... They kind of like to prove who they are. Now,
1: so, Alright, so let's paint this picture here. A practitioner is overcome by a Gede.
0: Well, I mean, they know the Gede's coming, I'm assuming. So, okay.
1: Yes. Which is why you happen to have voodoo giblet paste. And... A voodoo giblet paste. So, <laughs> you... And I'm not discrediting anyone's religion. It's just... The the most I've ever seen is an old lady get taken over by the Holy Ghost and pass out in front of the church. So I'm trying to understand. They... So that is what the spirit moves them to do to prove that they have inhabited their it vessel. Not moves them to
0: do. It does. It does. While in them. this is you don't feel any of this from what I understand. Which is why there's no pain. There's no pain. There's also no harm when they leave. Okay. So like this is this is them being there. Okay, them. which is why they can do these things
1: with the glass and this. Su- okay. Yes. Okay. Just making sure I am following along. Cause you don't just you threw that out there way too casually. <laughs> way too casually. Yeah,
0: they're, they're oh. sauce on the genitals. Moving on.
1: Like, no, 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 no.
0: Okay. Extremely honest to the point of bluntness. They're not gonna lie to you. They have no reason to lie. They've already lived. They don't really care. You know? So they're gonna tell you the truth and they're gonna tell it in a way that you probably don't want to hear. But their point's gonna be made and it's gonna be made loud and clear. They're also kind of like, see, this is why I love, they like, and I probably shouldn't say I love them, but like I do, I, I really, I feel like they're, I feel like they're awesome because they also have this like, I don't know, I just keep picturing like little characters in my head because that's who I am as a person, but and they like, they have a habit of like stealing things here and there. So they're, they're like gremlin-like. They're kind of like, kind of, but they're also like, and we're going to get to this in a little bit. They're very mischievous, and they're not all good. Important to remember. <laughs> okay. <laughs> not all good at all, but um, they also go so far as to, since we're talking about giblets and stuff, they like to, like, grab their genitals, talk about vulvas, penises, and whatever else. So you're a gay day. And they like, saying. yes, I guess I am a gay day. <laughs> yeah,
1: because all you talk about is giblets all the time.
0: I don't say all the time, but
1: were just having a normal conversation you just bring up vulvas this is the podcast three how many times have you talked about vulvas in these podcasts this place should be the lore vulva podcast that's just what it should be mythology and giblets that is the podcast
0: point taken God. point taken point taken okay so i don't even know how to get past that but okay so, they also grind on people, like in a, mimicking sex. Y'all, she's totally a <laughs> good I do not grind on random people.
1: Have you seen yourself in a bar <laughs> drunk? Ma'am.
0: Nope. Nope. Doesn't happen. <laughs> 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 okay, we're gonna move on.
1: <laughs> Seems
0: like somebody plays the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> They're keenly associated with sex and fertility. Fertility is one of the things that they're called on for. Also, going back to, like, the children, one of the other things which I think is awesome that they do. So, like, if you don't have the money to feed your children, like, you don't have the money to buy food, you can call on them if you if you have that connection, you know. You call on them and they can help provide the finances for you to feed your children. I honestly don't know what the hell would happen if you didn't spend that money on food for your kids, though. Because I'm guessing it would be fucking terrible. Because, <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> now... <sighs> Where the gay they come from is kind of a bit confusing, as I said. Um, they're kind of like the souls of the forgotten souls, if you want to call them that. And like I said, they're a family. And the parents of this family are Baron Samdi and Maman mom Brigitte. And they're the father and mother. I'm not going to talk about my mom Brigitte. Um, I might do so at a later time. But this time, I just kind of wanted to focus on the baron. But they're the mom and dad of the gaites. They literally adopt them. I need to point out that these, and we're gonna talk about the Baron in just a second. But another factor of the gaite is that they can also be people who did not ascend in this life. So, other than like forgotten souls, there's also a group of them who are very bad. And so, and and the and the spirits in general can have a very like a lot of influence on our lives, just as there are bad and good humans. There's bad good and bad spirits. And the bad ones can really, really, really mess you up. This is why a lot of information isn't really out there about the Gede. Because as an outsider, you're dealing with forces that can really hurt you. You know, Mm -hmm. that's kind of like the way it's seen. So, and not just you. Sometimes like your entire family. (laughs) So, yeah. A can of worms. Yes. Okay, so Baron Samdi. He's the head of the Gede. And he's a very elite Loa. Even amongst the Loa... He's a force to be reckoned with. He's associated with death and sex. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. He's a black star. Yes. His colors are black and purple. Fuck yes! Yes. And he spends most of his time in the spiritual realm and is usually depicted in all black, complete with a top hat, a coat and tails, and has the face of a skeleton. I know you have seen this image before because he has been misrepresented all over the place in pop culture of today it's actually really ridiculous he is very powerful and not a loa that you want to piss off at all so let's put that out there (laughs) because it was reiterated to me several times so and this makes sense he's the baron of death he's the grim reaper he is if the loa are the spirits of the dead he's death itself Okay? Now, let me put it to you like this. No one crosses over into the land of the dead without his permission. Okay? He's an assassin. He's a murderer. He's a protector. A boss. And he's the gate to the knowledge of your ancestors. Because all of the ancestors fall within the spirits of the dead. Mm-hmm. So, as Baron Somdi, he's the Baron of Saturday, which is what Samdi means. Now, if you think about astrologically, aside from being a planet of, of the occult and mysteries... Saturn is also, which is where the word Saturday comes from, Saturn is also one of those planets that doesn't really accept anything other than perfection. It's the taskmaster of the Zodiac, and it does not make things easy for you. It's kind of the karma police. The Baron is pure Saturn energy in this aspect. He doesn't take no shit from you. He does not accept mistakes. Ah. If you come to him for help, and he likes you, and you've done all the proper things that you're supposed to do, and he decides he's going to help you, he'll help you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But you're probably not going to like it because he he will beat perfection into you.
1: Oh, that well, sounds
0: like a lot. He does not hold back. He has no mercy for mistakes. And there's different aspects of the Baron, and all of them are very, very powerful energies. Like I said, if the Gede are the dead, the Barons are death themselves. They're extremely professional, and they're just as lewd and vulgar as the guete but while the guete can be funny the baron is is not he's to be feared and respected right not and taken very very seriously okay so the barons they know shit and they're not afraid to take you out if they don't like you if you piss off a baron he's not just gonna take you out he's gonna have you're gonna suffer a generational curse Fuck up your whole life your whole life your whole family's life and probably you everybody and that your mama out, i'm gonna i'm gonna kill you your mama your cousin he's a gangster well that is an aspect of him which we're, which we're gonna get into oh so the baron <laughs> sorry There was a song came in my head oh you remember me and you
1: your mama and your cousin too <laughs> 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 sorry go ahead
0: so the Baron and all aspects of him are extremely wise, and you have to kind of think about it like this. They're elite Loa. They're the barons of the elite, which means people who have power in this life, whether it's good power or bad power, they got Baron energy in them. They may not be directly working with him, knowledgeably, mm-hmm. but they have Baron energy in them. Cool. Okay, so the first Baron we're going to talk about is the Baron Lacro- Lacroix. Oh. Fizzy water.
1: That's my favorite shit to drink. I love quoi. It's my favorite. You mix it with some fruit
0: juice. I'm sorry. <laughs> Baron the Croix in this aspect is the person, the one who helps people cross over from life to death. He sanctions the crossover. Okay, basically the or grants permission to go into the underworld. Then you have Baron Cemetery. We're rolling so with it. Then you have Baron Cemetery. <laughs> this is the Baron of the Cemetery. Now. In voodoo, the cemetery is its own realm. So, it has its own operation going on. Remember, voodoo is based on hierarchy. And there's things that you have to do when you enter a cemetery to show respect to this realm. You have to, things that you must do to do your <laughs> voodoo. <laughs> I'm a child. Okay. There's certain ways you need to dress. Offerings that have to be made when you leave. And just general protocols that have to be followed. Like in the Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil? Yes. 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 that's That's
1: a good book.
0: So, and Baron Cemetery is the protector of this realm. He's the one that makes sure the rules are followed and order is kept so that you don't end up hurting the spirits. And the spirits don't end up hurting you. Now... If you don't follow the protocol, he really could give two shits as to whether or not the spirits hurt you. So any of y'all who have been to the cemetery and have gone home with a nasty spirit, it's probably because you did something wrong. Just saying. Because he kind of keeps them in there. That's why fuck with shit at cemeteries. Right? Right? You know what I mean? So. Why do people want to have
1: sex in cemeteries?
0: You know what? That was actually something that was brought up. And it was like used as an example of like one of the things you don't do.
1: I, I don't. I don't...
0: First off, I don't like dirt in my giblets. <laughs> so, dirt. I mean, I, I feel like that's just a place where you should be respectful anyways. Like, so, like I, I to, don't...
1: I used to go to the cemetery a lot in Edgefield to read. Because um, it was quiet. Because the only places we had in Edgefield were a park with screaming children. And dead people are pretty quiet, usually. And, um... What's it, what's it, what was that? It was First Baptist in Edgefield. Yeah. Yeah, I used to sit there and read. <clears throat> Me, all the dead
0: old white people, Thurman. <laughs> was Strom Thurmond. with Strom Thurmond just exactly. sitting there pissing I was the, you off? I was the
1: only black person in the whole cemetery. Just posted it up.
0: Reading books.
1: Anywho.
0: Yeah, so think about it. If The only authority that the spirits have to listen to is Baron. So, you disrespect the Baron's space, you kind of get what you deserve. Also, like, I kind of want to stop here and talk about, like, how ingrained these protocols are. I feel like it's it's really ingrained in us that we have to follow a protocol when we're dealing with deaths. And well, that's, that's all societies. Yes. I
1: mean, there's most... Uh, I mean, there's so much rigmarole around funeral practices. I mean, so, um, Piedmont Tech that I went to mm-hmm. in Greenwood has actually a very good um, mortuary program. Mm-hmm. And... Someone I was talking to said the majority of what they learn outside of the technicality of it all mm-hmm. is the numerous religions you'll encounter and have to know how to handle the, your customer's religious requirements. Yeah.
0: And it's numerous. That's kind of how I see this baron, though. It's like he's the one that's responsible for ensuring that you're honoring the dead, that you're honoring mm-hmm. these protocols. Mm-hmm.
1: That person even mentioned there. there's... People who practice voodoo, mm-hmm. who practice anteria, all, you know, a litany of religions that you have to...
0: That's very interesting. ...have to take into consideration. He th- said, it's not just putting them on a slab.
1: I'm like, okay, I'm so, yeah.
0: <laughs> so the next Baron, the last one we're going to talk about before we get to our question Ooh, is... Ooh, criminal. Oh, you're going to love this one. I have a feeling. This is Baron Criminal. He is the boss Baron. And I mean... Bous. Yes, that's exactly what Just I Hands mean. up. Bounce. Bounce. Y'all can't see us, but whatever. We're so gangster right now. We are totally gangster. I'm the whitest gangster ever, but these homies. You hold put, put a hard R on your gangster. I'm so gangster. <laughs> <laughs> Don't test my gangster. Okay. <clears throat> so, when you think of criminal organizations, what's the first image that pops into your mind?
1: Actually, right now, because of what we're doing, and this is totally racially biased, I'm picturing like Haitian gangsters right now. So, but maybe that's not what you're going
0: for. That's not really what I'm going for. But, like, when I think of, like, well-organized, I think of, like, cartels. I think of, like, the mob. I think of, like, you know.
1: La cosa nostra.
0: Yeah. And I think of, like, the head of them. These are, like, really suave dudes. Like, they dress a certain way. They act a certain way. They get shit done. They know how to get... the. The shit they get done, we might not like, but they get shit done. They demand respect. People fear them and respect them. This is the energy of this baron, okay? They do what they do, and they do it well. They're very prestigious. They have that uh, je ne sais quoi. As I said, this baron, he's very much feared and respected. He's probably one of the most feared aspects. He's known for, like, granting requests in lieu of payment at a later date. Ooh. Yeah. That sounds dangerous. So yeah. he's going to bust your kneecaps. Wow. So, he's a lone shark of the loa. Let me get there.
1: Okay. All right.
0: On Fete Gede, or the Voodoo Day of the Dead, Ooh. is when he comes to collect his
1: payments. Oh, shit. <laughs> yes. That's, this is.
0: The... <laughs> yes. So he's, he's, he's the boss. Very aggressive, prestigious, je ne sais quoi, he's a boss. Okay, so, you remember the question I asked at the beginning? No, I'm drunk. <laughs> okay, death is an integral part of humanity. It's something that we all have to face at one point or another in our lives. One of the things that I associate death with, and somebody that I spoke to actually talked about one of the kind of like aspects of the Baron, is he's a transformative energy. And... That makes a lot of sense to me because symbolically, when we're talking about mythology or just culture in, generally, in general, death is transformation, right? And part of us die so that other parts of us can grow. Mm-hmm. And in a way, all of us die multiple deaths during our lives. What is a symbolic death that you've dealt with in your life? <laughs> okay.
1: I won't get to it. Hold on.
0: So, I'll start with mine while you're thinking. So, like... I think, for me, one of the biggest transformations that I've had personally is learning how to be my own person, I guess, if in a way. Like, like, learning how to accept who I am and not let other people's judgments or opinions or whatever. Preconceived notions? Yes. Preconceived notions determine my life and what the hell I do with it. That's a huge one for me. It is. It's a good one. Yeah. And it's really helped me grow. It's really helped me grow. Okay, so we're gonna move on to the culture question. Do you think, like, as a culture, that cultures experience this transformative energy, this symbolic death? All done. I think so too. What would be an example of that that you've noticed in American culture?
1: <sighs> I some of them are in a term. I guess I'll call them slow deaths.
0: Yes, I think they're all slow.
1: Yeah, they're they're all slow deaths culturally. And thing they. Society takes on a whole nother characteristic or, or persona, if you will, after this death is completed. I mean, even just, you know, looking at what happened to our nation after we stopped being a colony.
0: Yes. You know, cutting off from... Well, I mean, we can even go back to slavery. Like, how long that took. And it's still... We're still... D- we're still dying. Yes. On that <laughs> one. We're still dying.
1: Um, but... Even just, you know, the the move from being a colony to being an independent nation, that was a big death. There was a lot that ended, and there was a lot that began with that, and it was almost like, you know, uh, we were a fledgling nation, we had to learn how to walk again. Yes. We had to learn how to become our, our
0: own nation with our own rules and our... Own society and yes. our own structure and government. I think we're still growing too. Like, one of the things I say all the time is, America's are like, we're like the teenagers of it's the a, world. America's
1: still a very young yes. nation. And when you look at powerful nations, yes. I mean, and not to discredit some smaller nations, but you know, there's a, a lot of those countries where you, you can't have a map that's 100 years old because it didn't exist, now it exists, and it goes away, then it turns and gets another name, blah, 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 blah. But as far as Powerful nations with, I guess, we'll call it, sticking power. Yeah, we're pretty young. We are very young. So I think that's that's a death and a rebirth in that sense. I think that, I think that, like the before the um, industrial revolution, that was a death in America. Like, oh yeah, a like big one. The, the death of point. the major, like, kind of a pastoral life. Mm-hmm. It died, and America was transformed into. I mean, yes, there's still a lot of rural areas in America, but we're a city-based
0: kind of society. I think we're going through a death right now. I think that right now we're trying to figure out how to be both a powerful nation and also one with morals. Like, I I, hate to say it, but very rarely do the two mix. They don't. They really don't. (laughs) They don't. And I mean, that's a very good point. But I think, like, and you know. Politically, there's a lot going on right now. There's a lot. And I don't really want to touch bases on that because, like, it's insane. But what I'm seeing from my perspective, especially from, like, the younger generation perspective, is most of us want to see progression in the way of rights, in the way of just, like, the way that we're handling shit. Like, So, this is going to sound kind of, kind of bleak and on my part,
1: but I think we're going to dissolve the hierarchies based on race.
0: Mhm.
1: Um I call it the beigeification of America, which is slowly happening. It is. I am a proud supporter of the beigeification of America. Hence my white man. Well, I mean I like beige, so exactly. Everybody needs to look like pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone needs uh, to look like pancakes. Yes. Tan crispy pancakes. Um okay, so I pay it. T- I refer back to this book way too much. But you know how um, in 1984, all the party members yes. there were various races yes. of the party members. And this sounds horrible because I'm—I'm I'm kind of a mean person. I'm okay with that as long as I'm a party member. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to. I'm not okay with that. I don't want to be a Winston, but I'm gonna make sure I'm not a Winston. <laughs> I'm going to make sure I'm a party member. And the fact of the matter is we will always have, air quote, party members. Yeah. I want your merit to be a party member to be based on how cunning Mm -hmm. and educated and intelligent that you are. That's that's how I want you to get to
0: be a party member. That means stepping on the neck of the stupid. I may be okay with that. This is kind of not really related to that, but kind of on another level. Like, we could we talk about, like, the change that's happening. Like, even, like, like when we were in school, it really wasn't cool to be as nerdy as I am now. Like, at all. Mm-hmm. But, like, now, like, nerdy is in.
1: <laughs> stand on the neck of the stupid. Yeah. Do it.
0: So, stand on the neck of so the stupid. Ah. Uh, yeah. Okay, so. I'm not touching that. <clears throat> but... Uh, <laughs> Okay, so the last question that I have, and it's one that I ask every single podcast, is what do you think the Baron would have to say to you? I already tell you what he's going to say to me. He's going to say, bitch, what the hell are you doing? You need to get your life together and get shit done. And, you know. I feel like the... Okay, here's the
1: thing. I feel like Voodoo is a religion that it teaches you to... Utilize the skills you have. Whereas yes. okay, well it's like Christianity is like be good, do good. Yeah. God's given you these gifts. But they That's only a want you to point. they only want you to use the gifts that God's given you that are good in their eyes. Yes. Whereas voodoo can appreciate if God has given you the gift of cunning, if God has given you the gift of uh, a sly tongue. Yeah. Like if it's he's made you charismatic. Use those tools to your advantage. And that's something that I've come into in my life. I used to want to... Oh, this sounds horrible. I'm going to hell. I used to always want to be good. And, but I realized sometimes being bad gets you further.
0: <laughs> and I'm not saying... Okay, you no, know that's fair. That's fair. I mean, I...
1: And I feel like he would tell me to utilize these skills in a way that is advantageous for myself. Not necessarily to use it in a way that hurts others, but in a way that
0: promotes myself. I mean, I think that's very fair. And I think also, which is the whole of the podcast episode, I think also, you know, concepts of good and bad are up for debate. Yes. You know, I mean, it's all
1: va- based on perspective.
0: Well, and, and cultural, you know, trend trenches. I don't know what the term would be. But, but I mean, like,
1: you, you can't all be good.
0: You can't, can't be good all the time either. Like,. You can try to be a good person, but my definition of what a good person is, is going to be different than your definition, than whoever else's definition. I mean, it's all based. It's all... What's the word I'm looking for? I had it and I left. Subjective. It's very subjective.
1: So, I, I think that's what I'm going to focus more on, using
0: all of my skills, whatever they may be. What do you think the Baron would have to say to our culture?
1: And start over. Um,
0: <laughs> I feel like... I think he'd be, I think he'd he'd realize he has a lot of, like, I don't know if I would say, like, he'd realize he has a lot of work, because he ain't gonna do the work. He's gonna so, be, he's gonna be, so, be the shit out of here's the thing, I,
1: so you're way, you're way on the left side of the ship, um, somewhere in the middle. Well, if you ask my Republican boyfriend, I'm a goddamn hippie,
0: but... No, no, I, no, you're definitely very middle, middle okay, road. Okay, th- thank you. You're very middle, yeah.
1: I feel like some people need to quit bitching. It's, it's stop crying about these things. It, there's always going to be a level of suckitude
0: in the world. You can't make the world perfect. Utopia right. does not exist.
1: Right. But also, that doesn't mean we should just throw everything to shit and just kind of be oh well whatever things are going to be bad it's just how it is we can't you can't do that either and i think that he would want us to see it see things all things all issues for what they are Mm -hmm. and focus on making it work
0: yeah see and one of my favorite phrases and what that i use all the time and i try to remind everybody is perfection doesn't exist but we're all perfection in progress like we're all mm-hmm. trying to get to a better place, so I kind of feel like, you know, the nice way. And I feel like he probably won't be very nice. And about that's the it. thing: the the way that we'll get
1: there is many pitfalls, disasters, yes. bad things happening. It's kind of like
0: it's kind of like you know the creation of a diamond. If you think about it, you know, how the diamond
1: of fire, brimstone, chaos, heat, pressure.
0: Yes, to get somewhere good, to get somewhere that's beautiful. Yes, yeah. So I, yeah. It is. You know, I I've, think that's a good note to end on. So, do you want to say goodbye? I want more rum. <laughs> you have the rum. Can we talk more about people the color of pancakes? If you want to.
1: I'm just saying. People should be the color of pancakes. <laughs> Jessica, what are you the color of? Like an English muffin?
0: I have a moon tan. That's not... No, we're talking about pastries. <laughs> you got very serious. Like, you were very upset. Okay, if I'm a pastry, I I don't think I would be like a sugar-powdered donut. How about just a Krispy Kreme? Eh, I'm a little paler than a Krispy Kreme. How about a cruller? I might, you know what? I'm definitely a cruller. Yes. I am a pancake with <laughs> lots of burro. The crullers are good. They are. I like them. Pancakes are delicious, though. <laughs> Everybody loves
1: pancakes. <laughs> hey! so I
0: wish that's... I could be a waffle. Waffles are good. Waffles are stored up. Of, no, I'm not a waffle. You don't want I am extremely waffle. pale and pasty. So. Pale, pasty, and prey.
1: You're a crepe! What? Oh, I am! I'm a crepe! The crepe, 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 crepe. <laughs> whatever. You're like, what? Oh, yeah! <laughs> You're a crepe. Crepe. You're a crepe. I, I am it. totally
0: a crepe. You're absolutely right. Yes. I am so a crepe. Yes. Not okay, bad. well, now that we've determined what kind of pastries we are.
1: So, you know, you know, don't crepe Suzettes have rum in them, too? Don't we see with the bananas?
0: Hey, see? rum. There we go. I'm totally down for that.
1: It works out. It makes sense that a crepe and a pancake would be
0: friends. It does. Nice. It, it does. I'm hungry. I, I noticed. <laughs> Let's
1: go get some food.
0: Okay. All right, well, we got to do our sign-off first.
1: Cool. So. Are we signing off to get food?
0: Go get pancakes. And crepes. And rum. And lots of rum. You guys enjoyed episode three, Baron Samdi. Music for Loreverse is brought to you by Purple Planet Music Online. You can find them at purpleplanetmusic.com. And if you'd like to check us out online, go to www.loreverse.com. Don't forget to subscribe and show your support.